Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Rock on. And today we are talking the classic Dungeons and Dragons module, White Plume Mountain. It S2. is S2, yeah. It was uh, copyrighted 1979, written by Lawrence Schick. Uh, it's a module for the Greyhawk setting of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, they recommend four to ten players with a recommended character level of five to ten back in those days. Yeah, that's a lot of players, man. That That is a lot of players. That would be hell to manage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lawrence also recommends as a party mix that 40% of your party should be fighters, 30% magic users, 20% clerics, and only 10% thieves. And no fucking monks. That's why I hate this module. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Yes. <laughs> the overall plot to get your party sucked into this module is that three magic weapons were stolen. Um, and One a ransom of them note certainly was left. was not Stormbringer. Right. <laughs> three magical weapons stolen. A uh, ransom note was left. By someone claiming to be the wizard Caraptus and taken to the ancient sanctuary of White Plume Mountain, which is Caraptus's fortress. And the party is hired to recover them. So, as it goes, pretty basic setup. I mean, there was a whole uh, column in the module dedicated to setting up, setting up the plot. Yeah, because why else would you go into an active volcano? Well, this is true. This is true. <laughs> um, the first thing that I really noticed was that in the very first section, before the players even, or the party just arrives, that the description of White Plume Mountain is extraordinarily vivid. Um, uh, yeah. White Plume Mountain is an almost perfectly conical volcano, hill formed from an ancient slow lava leakage. It is about 1,000 yards in diameter at the base and rises about 800 feet above the surrounding land. The White Plume, which gives the mountain its name and fame, is a continuous geyser that sprouts from the very summit of the mountain, another 300 feet in the air, trailing off to the east under the prevailing winds like a giant like a great white feather. The spray collects in depressions downslope and merges into a sizable stream. There are stream vents in various spots on the slopes of the mountain, but none of them are large enough to allow entry. This goes on. Right. Um, and really, it's in, it's incredibly detailed for something that means nothing if you're just playing this alone. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're like, if it's part of a campaign, then yeah, you have like a nice little layout of um, the surrounding area. There's a map. That yep. goes with, oh, yeah, well, no one watches this. This is audio only. Trust me when I say there's a map of the surrounding area. <laughs> the Great Swamp and White Plume Mountain. Yeah, they didn't uh, include that in, in the copy of that uh, area map. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, okay. that must be a second printing thing. Um, this particular dungeon was actually designed there's a, I have the um, the Dungeons of Dread 
reprint of this, which is the the S series. Um, and the forward is for the for the series is by uh, Schick, who, who wrote this particular uh, module, and uh, he says that he did it as his resume. So um, this, I'll, I'll just read what he says. Uh, my own White Plume Mountain wasn't written to be published. I wrote it as a submission to persuade Gary that he ought to hire me as an RPG designer. Mission accomplished. Gary offered me a job and also, to my surprise, offered to publish White Plume Mountain exactly as written. Gratifying, of course, but a little, also a little embarrassing since the adventure was really just a sampler of clever ideas that were never fully fleshed out. And Central Conceit, a funhouse dungeon full of tricky obstacles designed to challenge adventurers for the amusement of a mad wizard, was already a cliche even at that date. And I was all too aware that the artifact slash weapon Black Razor included to, sh to show I could adapt ideas from other media to AD&D was a descendant of Elric Stormbreaker. But unlike Tomb of Horrors, the challenges in White Plume Mountain were designed to make players think, work together as a party, and ultimately win through and feel successful. Players liked that. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, it is a fun house. Yeah, it, it, it it's he's exactly right. He's not um, trying to make himself look bad or good or anything. It is something that definitely seems like it's cobbled together of clever ideas that that mm -hmm. he had in in various other dungeons that you know he was using for his own players mm -hmm. it does it does uh as far as obstacles design encounters and whatnot it is kind of a greatest hits like there are several um rooms and we'll talk about the 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 rooms themselves in a bit that are fantastic and having them all in one dungeon is just like, if you want to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons, old school, play White Plume Mountain, and you get pretty much everything. <laughs> if you have one game of Dungeons and Dragons to play before you die, and you're only allowed one game, this is the one to do it because it's got a little bit of everything in it. Mm -hmm. And unlike Tomb of Horrors, which we mentioned in our autopsy of Tomb of Horrors, there is no real wasted space here. Every room, can, almost every room, there's a couple of exceptions, contains something. Some type of encounter, a puzzle, something. This is kind of the opposite of Tomb of Horrors, where Tomb of Horrors was kind of designed as a killer dungeon to say, fuck you to his players um, by Gary Gygax. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems like it was more of a killer dungeon designed to have fun getting killed. Right. And if you make it out of White Plume Mountain, you can really sit there and say, yes, we did and this. Disclaimer, I like Tomb of Horrors. I enjoy running it. I enjoyed playing it when I was mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. But it, it's definitely a different attitude of, of, of play. It's a different style of GMing, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or game, yeah game design it really is it's very encounter heavy very experience points heavy um, rather than Tomb of Horrors with it's almost endless repetition of certain rooms right now now the, the thing that, that kind of I, I won't say irks me but 
it is cobbled together. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of internal logic to the dungeon. Uh, Tomb of Horrors, you could say what you want about it, but it certainly had um, internal logic to it. It was right. a death trap <laughs> designed oh, to yeah. protect the remains of the the, the lich, the um, the demi lich. Mm -hmm. This is is literally just like a wizard did it. Well, mm -hmm. why would there be this there? Oh, a wizard did it. I mean, this is more or less like. It's like the greatest hits of Ronnie James Dio turned into a Dungeons and Dragons module. <laughs> it does. It does have a, a, all of the all the classic characters are here. Um, there is a vampire. There is an ogre mage. There is a, a giant beast. Um, there are evil guards. Uh, there's an, a magic user and a fighter who work for the wizard. To feed the creatures, um, <laughs> the zookeepers, right? The zookeepers, and even though there's not a storage room for food for the zoo for the animals, um, so I don't know well, what they that the animals are used to live food. So, well, yeah. So, well, maybe that's what they do. Maybe that they um, send out random ransom notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We we have your your weapons come and get that motherfucker and they do that every every few weeks to um you know entice adventurers and to feed the manticores which is kind of funny because if you really think about it most dungeons and dungeons and dragons you know you're always you're always under the conceit that there are multiple parties adventuring at any time in in whatever game world you're playing in and all of the, there's always room for more because parties are going into these dungeons and becoming the dinner for all the monsters. Well, that happens in Tomb of Horrors. You see the remains of previous parties doing like mm -hmm. the treasure hoard in in the lich's chamber. The, the the dead guy pointing to the gender swapping archway. Mm -hmm. So uh, th that's kind of clever, but here you could have. Actually, if if it was all a lord to feed the the animal guardians, that actually makes more sense than just random dungeon bits. Right, right, and you can even okay. spin it into a campaign of sorts. In that, if the party, whoever party survives, you realize that the owners of the three magical weapons actually work for Heraptus, <laughs> and it's all a fucking scam. <laughs> All of a sudden, it just became like a Fritz Lieber story. <laughs> now let's, let's that's more like a Jack Vance kind of thing. That's a Jack Vance kind of thing. That's, All right. that's total Jack Vance. All right, well, let's get to the meat of the dungeon here. Um, now, the first room on my list that I circled is room number seven. Room number seven. The room number seven. Ah, yes. This is the room after the subway entrance. Yes, there's a subway <laughs> turnstile. Just randomly. The yeah. great thing is they have a picture. In my copy, they have a picture of it. And there's yeah, like a, a little guy, guy in armor and a backpack with a sword on his mm -hmm. belt going through. Um, he looks like he's going to take the A train. Yeah. <laughs> he's going through the old style subway turnstile. That's right. And it only goes one way. Yep. So there's you have to 
And that's the interesting thing is, is that all if you go the correct direction, which is coming in the entrance and then choosing the left, the right hand path on the map. Once you find your way into this room, there's no turning back. Yeah, you, without have break, coming, you have to break the turnstile. Yeah, you have to break the turnstile to get to the rest of the dungeon. Right, and the, the one of the one of the bosses is um at the end of this little corridor. The way you should you should know the way it's set up. There's three different sections for this. Mm-hmm. One for one for each of the weapons that was stolen, and they're right. completely separate. And they do they only connect to each other at the entrance of the dungeon. Right. So, so really, you have three different dungeons. Mm-hmm. Three very short dungeons. Yeah. That connect together to create one larger dungeon. Um, there's two connections between the right hand side and the center, where you can get back to the left hand side. Uh, you don't have to go back. You have to go back through the turnstile, but you don't have to go back to room number two. Uh, you have to go back through uh, rooms room 13 and 12 to get back to the center. Right. Uh, but no, everything else... Five. five to, uh, those, that's like a dead end. Those aren't connected to five. Those aren't connected to five? Nope. Oh. Oh, they should have... Well, they have a thicker... They should have drawn this map better in my copy. Because they have a thick line denoting the wall between 12 and 13. They should have put yeah. that there. Because that looks poor, like it's open. cartography. No, that's... it's. Those don't connect. Or else there'd be no... Um, no separation between uh, 12 and 13. The, the bedroom of the zookeepers and their, their uh, welcoming room. Well, I would have at least put a secret door there. But but they didn't. But they didn't. It wasn't designed that way. That's one thing I would change. But room seven, I like it as three separate mini dungeons. Yeah, never I mean, the twain. It works. Dungeons. It works. Room seven. Uh, the door is the description right out of the module. The door opens into onto a stone platform in a large natural cave. The ceiling averages fifty feet above the level of the platform. While the floor of the cave, 50 feet below, is a deep pool of boiling mud. Points A and B on the map mark locations of geysers. Geyser A spouts once every five minutes. Geyser B spouts once every three minutes. Uh, Opposite the entrance platform is another stone platform, approximately 90 feet away. Between them is a series of wooden discs suspended from the ceiling by massive chains. Uh, the discs are about four feet in diameter and three feet apart. Each disc is attached to its cha- a chain by a giant staple fixed in the center. The discs swing freely and will tilt when weight is placed upon them. The discs and chains, as well as the walls of the cavern, are covered with a wet, slippery algal scum that lives on the water and nutrients spewed up from the geysers. This coating gives off a feeble, phosphorescent glow. And... Basically, what you have in this room is a jumping puzzle. Yeah, it's uh, platforming. Mm-hmm. Which is, you rarely get in, in D&D. Um, it's a pain in the ass to adjudicate. That's true. That's true. I mean, we did it in uh, my Dungeons & Dragons game. We had a jumping puzzle near the, the bottom with the giant centipedes. 
swarming down the hill. But you didn't have two um, ill-timed geysers, out-of-sync geysers to keep track. Right, right. I would have. I I would. I would adjust that and make that four minutes and six minutes. That way, you can use D four and D six as a timer to match them up. But um, that's me. Yeah. So actually, you can use D four and six and count down. Uh, once it hits four is when it goes off. Once it hits six is when it goes off. And then start at... Start at back zero. to one. Well, you'd start back at one because it would be a period of inactivity. Yeah, my, my problem... So, in AD&D, mm -hmm. um, it turns one minute. Right. So, everything kind of lines up. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, each character can take five hops before A goes off, right? Right. In, in uh, the current edition of D&D, uh, a turn is what, six seconds? Uh, I think a round is still six seconds, but a turn is more abstract. Yeah. Timekeeping. So it does everything in rounds. So these, uh, these geysers would go off in, in rounds rather than turns. Right. So you would have to adjust that. Um, in Tales from the Yawning Portal, which this has been reprinted several times and adapted to 5th edition. And it's things such as this which make it um, making you have to adapt it. Uh, but it still uses 5 minutes and 3 minutes mm -hmm. as the as the uh, as the benchmarks. It so, it, but it doesn't give you advice on how to time that. So, but you can do a, your full move, mm -hmm. right, in one turn or one round, mm -hmm. right? So that's usually what seven, seven, uh, seventy feet. Uh, full move depends on how fast your move is. Yeah, but, but, but a full move. Right. So, in one. Round if these are 10 foot squares, yes, yes. Uh, you can go one, two, three, four, five, six. You can get over halfway across the thing, so you would have to like figure out a, a better way. Well, you would also, you would also need uh checks uh to balance on these on yeah, these platforms because they're slippery and they're swinging, so it would be. You know, I think in the old rules they would consider that like extreme terrain. Yeah, you, you adjust it for terrain and everything, but it, still, this would be a bear of a room to to DM. Oh yeah, I mean, you first, I think you'd have to map it out. Mm -hmm. This would you couldn't just like describe it and this is what you do and kind of abstract it because everything is happening. Right, um, there's things being timed, so you would have to you'd have to have it mapped out. Mm -hmm. People need to know where they are in relationship to each other and to and to the um, geysers and to the to the um, hanging platforms. Right, and things like encumbrance would come into play. Like, are you carrying more stuff? It's like the rogue gets across the level to like platform four, and then the warrior comes across, but the warrior is wearing full plate and carrying like a, a 
fucking two-handed axe or something like that. That's going to factor in. Right. But it, but the room is set up really to make it to add a lot of drama. Yeah. Because up to this point, every you know you had um, room five, which is not much going on there. You had the riddle of the the Sphinx, and then now you have this room, and this room is probably I th- I think is one of the most exciting rooms this in is the, the first. Yeah, this is the first really interesting thing that happens. Or if you go first, that direction, right? The first possible interesting thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you make it across this room, there's a boss fight. So you, mm-hmm. you've maybe lost a party member or two to uh, falling down to guys because once you fall down, you're in like magma, right? You're in boiling mud, which is um, instant death, pretty much. I mean, the geysers do a pretty good bit of damage, but the boiling mud, there's no way up, so your character is pretty much dead if they fall off the platform. Yeah, and the way they have the damage set up is um, if you are next to the geyser, you take maximum damage, and then the further up. Out you are mm-hmm. for the um, the less damage you take. Everyone's taking damage in this room, right? And, and there I, is a save. Uh, there is a save. I believe it's versus Dragon's Breath, which is usually like one of your weakest saves <laughs> um, for half yeah, damage monk. from the geysers. Yeah, monk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, characters who make their saving throw as a versus Dragon Breath. Will take only half damage. So you're making saves versus Dragon Breath every time these geysers go off. So that'd be but, a dex save in modern. Right. Uh, yeah, it'd be a dex save. Uh, the furthest away from um, the furthest away from the geysers you can get is one d four damage. That's the least amount of damage you can take. Is half of that. Um. But if you're like on one of these platforms right next to the geyser, and each one has at least two platforms right next to them, you're looking at 5d10. Yeah. So now you're thinking to yourself, well, that's great because, you know, you're going to have clerics in the party, right? And they can heal you at at the end of this. That's what clerics are for. Mm -hmm. Well, clerics are also for another thing. Right. (laughs) Clerics are for fighting the undead and right. room number eight is the, the first boss fight right which is against a vampire <laughs> you're gonna need your spell slots clarence but you just use them healing up your party it's great very it's oh yeah this is clever. this is a great way the way this is arranged with this this really sinister and severe puzzle that yes it might it might it might be a pain in the ass to to run as a GM, but one you're probably going to get almost the entire session's worth of play out of this one room, and you can, you have a cliffhanger because it you've got attrition. Everybody's going to have probably have taken some damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have lost a certain percentage of your party, and then you're going to walk into this room with the first boss. And this room is covered in magical darkness. Right. And it's a vampire. And it's a vampire. So um, it's, it's a nice way to set up a boss fight. Because, you know, on its own, a vampire, uh, you know, can 
10, 10 level characters could easily just make mincemeat out of a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that you've taken some hits, you've right. used up some spell slots, either um, by by healing or finding clever ways across the chasm without um, having to deal with platforming, mm-hmm. you know, Big B or whatever you want to use, Tensor. Or, you know, misstepper, whatever, whatever clever things you are. You have a monk that can run along the walls or whatever. Though, so I don't know if that would work. But anyway. Um, you're, you're they'd spending. have to be a certain level monk because it, uh, the walls are irregular. And you're, are... you're spending slots. You're spending hit points. You're, you're definitely weakening your characters in, in various different ways to go on to this first boss fight. Um, and the, and you want to talk about home turf. Mm-hmm. The, the room that this vampire is in is home turf for, for a vampire. Oh yeah. I mean, he's had, he has every advantage, permanent darkness spell, um, which means that unless you have, what is it? True sight, true sight. You can't see. Or dispel, right? There's a couple things that you can do to uh, take care of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you've used up those spell slots, getting across that room, yep. Also, also, uh, Shik includes uh, the usual one of the usual weaknesses of a vampire to help stop metagaming is that uh, destroying the coffin in that room will not affect the vampire at all because he has spares. Spare coffins. Now there is. I think there is one way that you can probably um, get through this encounter completely minimal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, like every denizen of this dungeon, this might be the weakness of the dungeon. Um, is compelled by a curse to remain in a trance, except when defending the treasure. Right. Remove curse. And then stick him on the wisp. <laughs> you don't well, want us. The possibility. You don't want us, man. You want the guy who cursed you to guard this treasure. <laughs> Go get him, man. Go get him. <laughs> I mean, any self-respecting vampire would probably attack the party and then do that. Right. Now, here's an interesting thing about this. Is that the battle with the vampire can actually initiate on the opposite platform in the mudroom. Because he awakes at the approach of the intruders. So you could rule that as as soon as they touch down on the platform, the vampire awakes. And the door to this room is permeated with tiny holes that the vampire can use gaseous form and exit through the, the door without opening it. So feasibly, the vampire could start the battle on the platform, push a couple people off, retreat back through the door in gaseous form. Everybody comes in, boom, mad, you know, permanent magical darkness. Which also, if you don't dispel it, if you say your magic users all like throw their fireballs into the room, which it is a and a three by three. Room so nine square feet or ninety square feet. I cast thunder wave. Right. Well, I don't think thunder wave quite fills up that space, but uh, 
you know, fifth to tenth level characters, their fireballs might if they all cast simultaneously or something. But that would be that would be a clever party trick to get out of it. But even if you do something of that nature and kill the vampire without ever entering the room, the magical darkness is still there. So you're going to have to try to find the treasure, which is under the coffin right. in magical darkness. But um, I don't think you are. Well, I'd have to look up um, AD&D vampire. Yeah. See if you can, if that kind of would work. Yeah, it refers see, to you the monster manual. Um, for, for metagaming. Mm-hmm. It refers you to the monster manual for abilities, but it has a one AC um, and hit 40 hit points. Right. So it, it, it's not a it's not a strenuous battle statistically, um, but it is a vampire. Uh, well, it can be because I think vampires need uh, special weapons to hit. Uh, I believe, yeah, you have to have magic or silver. If if you're 10th level, 5th to 10th level, you'd have that. Right. You'd have at least a plus one. So, yeah. So, So, there you are. You'd be at at disadvantage throughout this entire thing unless someone dispelled the darkness. But even still, you have like a vampire that can go misty. Mm -hmm. So, that leads to an interesting encounter. Plus... And this is what makes Room 7 so great, is that even after you've defeated the vampire, you've got to make it out back across Room Number 7. Yeah, you do. So you have to do it over again. And the chances of you losing the treasure are there. So it Um, actually raises the stakes. So at this point, if you get the treasure, Mm -hmm. uh, you are getting Whelm, which is a Lawful neutral hammer plus three plus five for dwarves. Right. Um, Which is an intelligent weapon. Yes. Which actually can help you out later on in the dungeon. I don't know. Oh, no, that's a trident that does that is. Mm. No, you're right. Yeah, this one, this weapon will not help you out later. Nope. Um, this is just a really cool hammer that gives you agor- agoraphobia if right. you, if you uh, use it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but that's 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 first goal. And no one said you couldn't use these weapons while you're while you're here. I mean, it is a plus mm-hmm. three hammer. That's like- now you also do get a potion of ESP, potion of black cra- dragon control, which won't help you out here. Uh, Scroll of three spells. Magic Mouth, Dispel Magic, and Monster Summoning 3. Dispel Magic will come in handy later on. Yes. As would Monster Summoning 3. Yeah, that would help as well. But uh, I think the Dispel Magic. Uh, The second room on my list... Actually, one one thing you might want to mention. This entire dungeon is um, under a foot of water. Yeah. Like slimy, scummy water. Mm-hmm. So, unless otherwise specified in rooms where it's hanging things over chasms, right. all your hallways, all your rooms are just damp, unless there's yeah. stairs or whatever. Yeah, everything's damp, everything's wet, um, and things like that. And that's and a lot of that's atmosphere. There's a couple of things 
going on where um, the, the water comes into play, little minor encounters. Well, I mean, but if you're trying to sneak through a dungeon, and, right. and there, are, there are random encounters in this dungeon as well. This is mm -hmm. every 10 minutes. Yep, every 10 minutes you're in the dungeon, you roll for a random encounter. Um, the random encounters are fairly simple. Got a couple got black pudding, some bugbears that roam around, a couple gargoyles, an invisible stalker, which is uh, very interesting, a couple of whites, and uh, random ogres. Yeah, you got to watch out for those whites, man. Yeah, level dream? They, no, they just like beer. Oh, yeah, those two. But, uh, yeah, the a random encounter with the one to two whites with that level drain. Level drain was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, in, in old school D&D. Right. So, but now, you, the, the water works both ways. Like, an invisible stalker isn't all that invisible if it's sloshing around in a foot of water. Mm hmm But neither are Very you. Very true. Neither are you. Right. So that's a okay. The next room on my list is uh, room number nineteen. Nineteen. Yes. You don't like you don't like the middle, do you? Um, I haven't gotten to the middle yet. Oh, nineteen is the uh, the heat trap. Yeah, it's it's one of the traps. My my favorite non encounter room. Uh, are the traps slash environmental hazards because I that's me in particular is that's my favorite types of ways to get characters is an environmental hazard and yet you hated Tomb of Horrors <laughs> which is all trap <laughs> right Tomb of Horrors is all trap um, I, I stole from Tomb of Horrors for uh, the the mountain dungeon when we were playing, killed uh, Wesley's character. You have to be more specific because Wesley's character dies all the time. <laughs> That's true. He's, we're going to start calling him Sean Bean. <laughs> <laughs> I used a sphere of annihilation. Oh, right, right, right. Now, yeah, I remember. Which was particularly nasty because, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some stuff in old school D and D that is just straight up dick. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now this room I thought was particularly nasty. Um, a series of copper colored metal plates lines the walls of this corridor. The plates are six feet high, six feet wide, and cannot be damaged or removed. They set up an induction field which causes metal objects passing between them to become heated. So once again, you have more attrition damage. Right, and and if you're smart, you take off your your armor, mm -hmm. and and you know tensor floating disket across, right? So you don't take any any uh, any damage. You know, obviously, if you're playing a wizard, you're cool, mm -hmm. or a monk, <clears throat> you're cool, right? But or, even or, in, or or barbarian, mostly. Yeah, barbarian because yeah. those axes will heat up. Well, but they but they said specifically that you can have your weapons. They're not gonna, you know, that's not gonna do anything. It's the armor, really. That's that's gonna kill you. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, you have to take off your armor. So you end up and, having like um, sixty percent of your party because that's the recommended um, percentage of fighters. Mm -hmm. Um, have just gone from AC four or five to AC what twenty? Is that nakedness? Uh, naked is twenty. Yeah, yeah. The worst of the armor classes. <laughs> Everything is. Mm -hmm. If you're particularly nasty, you can have somebody uh, guarding the room and uh, shooting arrows down and down into your naked fighters but old school D&D also had uh, time uh, requirements for donning your armor yes so any of those beneficial boost spells that your wizard or cleric happened to uh, cast on you that day um, probably wear off by the time you put your armor back on right now what would be cool Time is a factor, but I might allow it just because it's cool. Mm -hmm. If you were attacked on the other end of that, and you had an archer, you know, doing mm -hmm. that, having the arrows burst in the flame. As oh, oil-soaked oil arrows as the head heats up, the shaft catches on fire. Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> man. That would be awful. Even even if, I mean, depending on how long it is, you could probably have just flasks of oil on arrows that, you know, as it flies through one end of the other, it's the oil boils. It's 70 and feet across. 70 feet across. Yeah, I forget what the range is on a bow. Um, yeah, so on the other end of this, because all these traps are set up to kind of soften you up for what's coming next. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, What's coming next are eight ghouls in a secret room. Total, like, this is, like, totally straight out of the Sandy Peterson School of Game Design. Mm -hmm. Because it's designed for you to take off your armor, go through, and then while you're getting your stuff back on, secret door pops open and there's um, eight ghouls ready to kick your ass. Right. And you kind of have, you will have to fight the naked because... Why not? Um, now, ghouls are considered also, undead, so your clerics yeah. still have a little bit of an advantage. These ghouls wear amulets that protect them from being ordered away by clerics or paladins. Oh, well then. Clever, Mr. Schick. Clever. So he's entered you into this, this other room. It's like every encounter is designed to wear you down and thin that party. Yes, you might start with ten, but it ghouls hit pretty hard if I remember correctly. So you have ten characters starting. Uh, they get they get they get three attacks per round. Wow. Uh, one d three, one d three. I'm assuming those are claws, and then a bite of one d six, one to six, mm -hmm. and um, they have a paralysis percentage. So there's yeah. a chance that you're paralyzed if you're attacked by a ghoul. So yeah, that's a no-joke encounter. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And once it, those who survive, you carry on, you go up the steps, it's your first uh, taste of dry in weather. 
Yep, you go into the dry. And uh, now you want to talk about gauntlets. Oh, yes. That was the that's actually room 22 is the next on my list. Because I just thought this one was was comical in in the way it's it's set up. Because the room number twenty two is the frictionless room. Yeah, <laughs> the way it's set up, it's a uh, like a fifty ten twenty eighty actually actually a ninety foot um, corridor ninety foot mm-hmm. long corridor with a false. And so it looks like an 80 foot corridor, just right. to like screw with you. Things coated with a frictionless surface. So even if your heart beats, you're, you're going off. And then on either end are spike filled pits. Mm-hmm. Filled with rusty razors. Yeah, it was super tennis. And. <laughs> and it's really nasty. Super tennis. Right. Will contract instant super tetanus and die in two d five rounds unless they make a save versus poison. Um, and they do one. They do d twelve damage when you fall in. Plus, it's frictionless. Climbing out of the pit, you you can't get a grip to climb out. So if you failed your roll, you slide back in, take another one d twelve. Yeah. So they, I mean, they basically say they you're supposed to make rope bridge, with arrows right. and stuff. But they, I mean, there's other clever ways to do it. Uh, I believe uh, white spells are. Let's see, wall, ceiling, and floor are covered with a substance that is 100 frictionless. Uh, la 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 la. Anything that alights on the silvery surface will move in the direction of its last horizontal impetus, bouncing off the walls like a billiard ball until it slides into a razor pit. Magic users will find that fly, levitate, jump, dimension door, blink, and teleport spells will not work. Yeah. <laughs> Tie some rope to an arrow and shoot at the 80-foot wall that's not 80 feet, really 90 feet. Right. It's just that it's a nasty room. Just that dick move. That dick right. Room. And it comes and it, it is stacked right after the induction chamber, the fight with the ghouls. And then you got the frictionless room that's going to wear your party down even more. Right. Because then you're heading in toward the boss fight and room 27. But first you have to get through the corridor in room 25. There's a couple of options of places you can go. Uh, there's a dead end. Which is kind of clever, and it's really just there to kind of whittle you down some more. But now that dead end is super cool, though. Yeah, oh yeah, it's really cool. It's got the. It's a floating river. Yeah, it's got a little floating river and some kayaks and so. a serial killer. <laughs> this is true. It's got all of that in there. It's it's great. <laughs> packed. <laughs> it's packed. So the, the 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 scheme of that room, which I, I really like, I liked it, but I didn't include it on my list, was you have to, one, figure out that, yes, we can use the kayaks on the river, to maneuver yourself into the kayaks on this floating river, mm-hmm. and three, it goes in a circle, so you go around to another room, 
that's only accessible through it's this river. A river ride at a water park. Right, except for the fact that they, the soldiers and serial killer in room 24 try to pick you off as soon as you come out of the hole. Yep. So, you know, your melee is going to be at a severe disadvantage because you're stuck in a fucking boat. Because you're falling out of a kayak. Um, you know, so maybe your archers will be good. So if you have elves in your party, uh, maybe magic users with uh, some spell slots reserved for magic missile. That sort of thing. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have to get out of the boats, fight these guys, and then get back in the boats. Or find the secret door. Because there is a secret passage that connects uh, hallway 25 to room 24. Right. Now, the, that, the thing is, like, this whole encounter is just off on the side. It, you don't have to you don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just there. It's nasty, and it's completely, like, Optional. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of a red herring. It's a it's a dead end that's just going to whittle your party down even further. Mm -hmm. Which There's brings a couple us of those in this dungeon, but this mm -hmm. is the more interesting of them. Yes, yes. The fight with the wizard and her um, bodyguard slash lover or whatever. Uh, that's not very interesting. The zookeepers. Yeah, and, and, and the globes, the globes and the key. Right. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, I didn't include it. I, I I wrote it down as an interesting, as a notable encounter, but really, it's not that special of a thing. It's just no, it's door number one, right? You get some cool fights, some all right, some shitty treasure. It's not even really good treasure in that room. Yeah, and a lot of red herrings, because really, unless you do it correctly or you get it right the first time um, that room magically locks you have to get the key to unlock that door to get out yeah and there's nine not, globes. Yeah, nine globes with a eight, eight of them have uh, fake keys a bunch of them have um, clever monsters and traps in them and most of them have useless trickets mm -hmm. And yep. plus, there's a foot of, of muddy water. So if you don't catch the key as it's coming out of the globe, you got to go and search in the, in the muck um, for it. Muck for it. And some of the some of the it's actually it is kind of clever, even though it's like on the side room. A couple of these um, monsters, like are air elementals, and mm. they're very uh, indiscriminate. And I would say that globes could be smashed by you know battle as well. You just lost a bunch of keys in the foot of of a uh, muck. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, bunch of keys, bunch of treasure. You know, even if there is, even if it is shit treasure, it's still treasure. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of that's more of an exercise in tedium, and that is possibly the first room that the party will explore. Right. But it's a side quest. Mm -hmm. Now, this next room, the inverted terrarium of death. Yes. One of the uh, two big set pieces in this. You know, as much as I like room seven with the swinging platforms, uh, the inverted ziggurat and the final boss encounter, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, are really, in my mind, the two big set pieces. 
And the inverted ziggurat is so good that the depiction of the battle is on the cover. Or at least it was on the cover of my copy. Uh, yeah, it's on the cover of of both of the of the um, print editions for when it originally came out. It's also mm -hmm. on the cover of the um, the chapter in my book. Yes. Now, this room is it's number twenty six on the map. So if you are listening, you can grab a map uh, and follow along. Uh, this is an inverted ziggurat of five levels. Uh, levels B and D are aquariums. Right. So you have a you have your entrance level, an aquarium, a terrarium, an aquarium, and then the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and each level has um, monsters. And each, you know, they're different ones, and they're all protected by these uh, walls of, of what well, it's glass, right? Uh, the the it's aquarium, breakable. Yes. it's breakable. Whatever it is, it's breakable. Yeah, these are walls of glass. So it, it's if a wild arrow, uh, you know, you could a wild swing with with your battle axe. You have just um, spilled the uh, giant crayfish into the scorpions and the sea lions and you get to fight all three at once in um a couple of what is it it's uh it says that if, if you break everything the amount of water in there fills it up to the second tier mm -hmm. so <laughs> what a nightmare yep just the imagine only... what happens if somebody flubs a disintegrate spell yeah so you got you have a, a round of of Crayfish, giant crayfish, and then giant scorpions, and then the sea lions, and then at the bottom, three manacores. Mm -hmm. And you if you break the glass on the second level, you're going to get washed down, and you'll end up fighting everything in the fucking dungeon, pretty much. Yeah, hopefully uh, manacores can't win. These ones have their wings clipped. Mm -hmm. So they cannot fly. Um, however, they can shoot their spines along the axis, I believe. Yeah, it's so, line of sight. Yeah, so they can shoot. So, so really, as you're fighting even the ground level stuff, if you're in the right spot on the map, you could be fighting giant scorpions and manticores could be shooting spines at you. Right. Which is funny. It's a lot of it's a lot of fighting. Also, um, and, and none, none of these particular um, things individually are are horribly difficult. Mm -hmm. But you know, one giant scorpion, not bad. But four, that sucks. Right. One man of core is doable, but three, that's a challenge. So mm -hmm. I mean, they just like piled it in there. The, the the best thing about this room is you don't have these arbitrary rules that are in some of the other rooms right. that you normally use to get past stuff. This is just you go in, you wait in, you gotta fight them. You just gotta yeah. you're not you're not hamstrung. Um, but you know, you still have your work cut out for you. Mm -hmm. You could always attempt to jump because the, the levels are only ten feet wide. So you could always attempt to jump from one level to the next. Yeah, but then you're jumping into, you know, 
however many, 10 feet of water. Well, no. I mean, you could you could broad jump it or long jump 10 oh, feet. Yeah. And get over the water sections, but you know, you jump and you land right into the giant scorpion section. Right. Possibly take damage on the fall because it, I believe it's uh, 10 foot across and then 10 foot down. Not if you're a monk. Yeah, or, or wizard. Uh, yeah, as, as, as you could tell that I like playing monks. Can you play monks? <laughs> I like playing monks. Almost exclusively. That's my favorite class. <clears throat> um, if you do happen to break the glass and, and survive the encounters, um, you cannot exit until yep. the water drains. Yeah, it's pressurized doors. The doors are are um, created to resist pressure from this from this aquarium until nope, that is that is room 14 with the pressurized doors this one has a wall of force that as soon as water touches the door okay it holds the water back same effect Does the same. you can dispel it and will give make the door give way um, but chances are you'll fight any creatures that uh, are left. Right. Underwater. Underwater. Not breathing. Mm-hmm. Yep, you'll have to swim down to do it. Two hours to drain? Something like that. So you have to, if even if there's no creatures, you have to tread water for two hours. Well, I mean, you could get up to one of the levels that uh, possibly you'd have to swim over and try to climb up. Uh, if you're wearing that fancy plate mail paladin, <laughs> yeah. you might have to you might have to strip in the water and let that shit sink to the bottom. Yeah, you can always recover it. Yeah. Now it provided once again, this is another set of encounters meant to whittle down the party right before a boss. Right. And, and this in room, a particularly nasty boss. Mm-hmm. This is room twenty-seven. This is the ogre mage. Uh, twenty-seven. The ogre mage will cast an illusion to make you think that he's a halfling. And the funny thing is, is that the Ogre Mage is, is only a boss in this dungeon because he lost a bet. Yep. And must guard his particular part of the treasure for a thousand and one years. Plus, you cannot sneak up on him because he has a magic mouth in the room that warns him of your approach. And he polymorphs himself into the form of a doughty halfling warrior uh, and pretends to have been trapped by the evil wizard. Right. And he is a, you know, he's a wizard himself. He's an ogre mage. So he's got, um, he's got his own shtick. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, fly, invisibility, darkness, um, charm, person, sleep, assume gaseous form, cold, um, regenerates a hit point per round, ring of protection plus three. And a ring of mirror images. So once again, you have like a, a, a big challenging fight that you have mm -hmm. to deal with. It's not just like go in, hack and slay this guy from reacting. Right. And uh, do damage and not get hit by various power-ups and uh, 
Right. You have to actually use teamwork to defeat this guy. Nullify his magic. Take his hit points down. Yep. That sort of thing. Uh, but you're rewarded uh, because this is the room where Black Razor, the not Stormbringer, is, not Stormbringer. is, is uh, kept. Plus three chaotic neutral sword. Uh, and it lives to eat souls. So if you decide to use it, there you go. <laughs> this is the part of the Ronnie James Dio record where they let Blue Oyster Cult do one song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Black Razor is really owning Black Razor is, is a source of a possible adventure of its own. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If I got Black Razor as a character, there's some rich motherfucker that would not be getting his sword back. Right. <laughs> 12-year-old Steven was obsessed with Elric. Now, there's there's uh, some other interesting stuff. There is a potion of healing and armor of vulnerability. Yeah, that's just mean. Yeah, so there's it's three items and and yeah, they kind of they kind of put these items in here. So even if you st- still manage to have seven or eight members of your party by the time you get to this room. There's so little treasure that, you know, somebody is going to be fighting over this and somebody's going to end up getting screwed with the armor of vulnerability. Right. And not know it until the next battle. Now, here's the thing. Um, Back in the day, first edition D&D, experience was um, mainly garnered through treasure acquisition. Mm-hmm. So people are people want that stuff, and and there's actually a, a an encounter in here designed with that in mind, uh, kind of like a an apple of eros eros kind of encounter. Mm-hmm. Um. So you we look at this now, and you know, with things like Adventure League, where you know everything's divvied up fairly, and um, gold and treasure doesn't affect your level or your experience points. It's not as big of a deal as it was back then. But back right. then, it was like, oh my god, that's a, a set of magic armor. It's mine. People yeah. would, would fight to have the privilege of getting armor they found out later is cursed. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you say that about the. Uh, um, Treasure being gold, if I recall correctly, one piece of gold is one experience point. Yeah. And the exchange rate goes like that. So one experience point is one piece of gold. There's a piece of jewelry in here, a total of 11,000 gold pieces worth of jewelry. Yep. Now, when we played, we were a little bit more egalitarian and we like kept it all in a, in a general pool and divided it up evenly like you would for monsters. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but not yeah. everyone plays that way. Not everybody that's plays kind that of way. Like the free parking, that's kind of the free parking way of playing. Right. Not, not a rule per se, but people do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, back in the day they used to have, there was also suggested ways to divide treasure amongst your party by your class. Yep. That, you know, you're... Your your fighter 
chances are you're going to you know get most of the treasure because a fighter at a certain level could go and buy himself a castle right and get to the colony management portion of the game yeah the <laughs> the why is this in here part, part of the game <laughs> all of a sudden this has become uh, like the sims <laughs> i don't want to play the sims right now once again uh like room 7 you have to return through the inverted ziggurat to get back out to go back to the center right to complete the dungeon now at any time because because of the way the dungeon's laid out uh you end up getting close to the exit every time you come out we even come back right honestly um and that's actually probably if if i were playing this what i would suggest is once you finish one of the mini sessions go out get healed up you know spend some of that loot by buy magic items or you know spells healing potions or whatever to get the next part mm -hmm. definitely definitely um and now i think the last the last encounter on my list is uh room 27 the big boss in the center of the dungeon uh, room 27 was the Oni, or uh, the Ogre Mage. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, 17. 17. Yep, that's, that's the last boss fight. Uh, it is a giant crab who is equipped with a bracelet. It's, you know, this is our favorite because we're both Baltimore people. Well, I, I don't like eating <laughs> crabs, but I, I like the way this, this room is designed. And I don't live in Baltimore anymore. Right. And this is this is a giant another giant set uh, set piece battle. Uh, you come into the room and you realize that you are underneath a volcanic lake. Yeah, you are in the the you're not un, in the caldera, but you're in the part of the volcano that empties into the caldera. It's actually he set it up really clever. You have water coming in from one side, which fills up this huge cavern, and then it empties. That's at, at ground level and then it empties at the top dips down gets superheated by by the magma and then shoots out to make the geyser right and because this is a, essentially a stream that runs through it it is a constant ever-flowing source that's of water why, why you have the uh white plume that's right and it really is a clever mechanic and if you get out of this room um now the water in here is already boiling. Yeah, it's a boiling lake, and you are basically on a, a promontory jutting out into the, the, the middle, literally, like three dimensions in the middle of the lake. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, basically and a force field. There's a bubble that, that's mm -hmm. holding the water in, and it is not a very sturdy bubble. No. You can you can literally touch this bubble and cause a rip that will, uh, in so many rounds, uh, cause the bubble to burst and fill the room suddenly with gallons, hundreds of thousands of gallons of boiling water. Right. Now the crab, who we will refer to from now on as Marty Bass, okay, um, w knows enough not to to fight near the bubble. Mm-hmm. And the crab is also wearing a bracelet that Marty, renders Marty it Bass. immune. Marty Bass, sorry, it's Marty Bass. Hey, Han. 
Hey, hon. I'm going to Patterson Park. To, I'm going up to Patterson Park to get some hookers. Um, <laughs> wearing wearing a bracelet on one of its claws that renders it immune to like charm and any type of mind control spell. Right. Charm, suggestion, anything. You have to fight the crab. Now, the funny thing is, is that uh, if you're running in there with two-handed weapons, you're trying to shoot uh, magic missile, well, magic missile is automatically going to hit, but if you're trying to shoot arrows or any type of projectile spell, uh, you, run, right, you run the risk of rupturing the bubble and killing you all because yeah. the room leading up to this is a hallway, number 14, that has pressure-resistant doors. Well, so if the water flows into that hallway, those doors are going to remain closed, and you're going to get penned up against well, it. You're instantly scalded, you know. Once that bubble bursts, anyway, you're right. Unless you have the presence of mind to like cast simultaneously underwater breathing and protection from heat, right? Or uh, cube of force, or right, which is what they recommend in the in the book is if is cube of force. So, I mean, you could survive it, which is kind of cool if you're in the Cuba Force and you end up and you end up flowing it through the system and out the top. Yep. Yep. Provided it lasts long enough. But yeah, this is this is the final weapon in the game, uh, the final object. Is that Whelm? That is Whelm. Yeah, Whelm is Whelm is the hammer. My fault. Oh, this is wave. 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 A trident that gives you control over all sorts of uh, nasty and... It's, it's the Aquaman trident. It turns you into Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it gives you all kinds of stuff. If you've got, if you've got Wave, uh, you might be able to... Uh, trident of Fish Commanding. Trident of Warning. Confers water breathing and underwater action. Cube of, confers Cube of Force ability... Telepathy and dehydrates on a on a natural twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's actually you know all all like biases aside, because I love you, Stormbringer. Um, this is probably the most useful of the three weapons. Yeah, yeah, because it actually it's it's the only one that really would have a use if shit went crazy and. After the crab falls dead and you recover it, and somebody goes, I wonder what the burst water flowing in. You can use Cuba Force from the uh, from the trident to protect what's left of your party. Yeah. Now, depending on what order everything is gone in, I mean, every one of these encounters could feasibly uh, trim down the party. Right. That's the other thing that's really cool about this dungeon is it, it's um, not as much of a railroad as a lot of like dungeon crawls end up being. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, right at the get-go, there's three paths, and you don't have to take them in any certain order. And, and once you complete one, you don't have to backtrack to get a key or whatever. Right. Um, so you have to backtrack to get out. But. Right. Which and again, you have to backtrack across some of the more dangerous set pieces. Yeah, to get there. Uh, once once you've defeated twenty seven, twenty seven is probably the most straightforward 
of rooms because it's go in, fight, get the treasure, return. Right. Um, but it's also possibly one of the most lethal rooms. Right. So, all in all, I play. Have you ever actually gone through this dungeon? No, I've never gone through this dungeon. Okay. Um, I believe I have back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing recent. Um, and if I haven't, then I read through it back in the day, either one or the other, because I definitely remember everything in here. Right. And I know I've never run it, so more than likely I played it. Um, this actually sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I think it would be a bit of a pain to run. It might be a bit of a pain to run, but I also would look at it as being kind of a, a using it as a source dungeon to add little things here and there into your own dungeon if you're creating a dungeon. Um, you know, like uh, the spinning tube or the induction chamber or something like that. You can borrow these ideas and tweak them into something that's a little more manageable for you and your group. And you still have interesting encounters. Right. Yeah. But just as the dungeon as a whole, I think it'd be really fun to play. Mm -hmm. um, a pain, pain in the rear to run. Right. Um, but I guess there's challenges on both sides because, you know, obviously as a, as a dungeon master, um, there's, they just kind of give you descriptions. This is common to pretty much anything that you're going to encounter when you buy something, you know, written by somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, just the challenge of running things to, to make it go the way it's written. Yeah. Because they don't give you advice on how to do things like the, the geyser room. That's really the big one. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you so, actually have to sit down and do a little bit of planning to figure that one out. Yeah, how, how you would mechanically run that. But now, on the other hand, as a as a player, there's not only are there are there puzzles that you have to figure out, mm -hmm. um, like and, and work together because I don't think you're getting through any of these encounters on your own. But even like the and I like this the the, the monster encounters the boss fights are puzzles in and of themselves because they're not your typical encounters. You have things right. like the, the, the giant Marty Bass has his, has his uh, bracelet on. So, mm -hmm. so he can't be controlled. Um, you know, the, 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 um, the Oni, the, the ogre mage, you know, has beefed up, you know, access to beefed up um, abilities. The vampire, you know, is completely in its own element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they took a lot of time to uh, work out the easiest ways to defeat these creatures and then write in a way to defeat the easiest way to take out these creatures. Yeah, yeah. So so you end up having um, puzzles for the for the boss fights, uh, which are like the best kind of boss fights for like video games. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was big for a while. I don't know if they still do this, but the... the you couldn't defeat the boss um, on on your own. You had to use something in the environment or a weapon that you just acquired to actually defeat the boss. Right, right. It's along those lines. So you're thinking like the old, as well as the old Zelda boss. method. Yeah, it's like Zelda or um, uh, what was it? Uh, Shadow Man mm -hmm. or or um, 
Legacy of Kane series was really good for that. Right. Yeah. Now, you may think that, hey, we've got all three treasures. We're free to go. But no. Schick has one last trick up his sleeve. Yeah. And that is, as you're walking out, <clears throat> if a party should succeed in obtaining two or even three of the magical weapons and is finally leaving for good, they may be stopped at number two by the return of the force wall. A voice will speak to them out of the air. Not thinking of leaving, are you? You've been so very entertaining. I just couldn't think of letting you go, especially with those little collector's items of mine. And since you've eliminated all of their guardians, why, you'll simply have to stay to take their places. Right. And, um, yeah. And you're faced with a choice. Join Karaptis or fight a couple of Ifrit. Right. <laughs> it's funny because there's a doctrination chamber. Mm -hmm. That is a secret room that's accessible, uh, which is not on the map. It, it is on the the map in um in five e. Oh really? Yeah, it's I, I don't see it on the map here. The indoctrination chamber. I see the entrance, but uh, yeah, I, I don't believe it is on the map. I'm gonna compare both maps right now. Yeah, it's um. Oh yeah, it's number nine. Oh, it's number nine. Yeah. The indoctrination chamber. Oh yeah, right there off. It's to very, the side it's of the very open ended. What it is? That's like depending on how cruel you are as a as a DM. Yeah, yeah. Did, did, I'm, I'm like even showing like like Alex DeLarge in the chair with his eyes forced open with clips, watching watching uh, videos of of hobbits being tortured or something. Right. But uh, Schick does say you can skip the whole episode if the party's taking too much damage. But if you're a particularly cruel dungeon master, you know, resisting to the end would be would be a, also a good way to go out on this dungeon as well. Uh, so you feasibly have multiple endings to this dungeon. Everyone dies, everyone gets indoctrinated and becomes the new guardians. So you can run the dungeon again with, with the, new bosses. The players as NPCs, yeah. Uh, or everybody, or the happy ending, every, you know, the survivors get out and uh, continue. Steal weapons and become wizard overlords themselves. Yes. Um, one of the things that uh, I was noticing, and you were talking about when you were talking about like the uh, overall design of the dungeon and whatnot, I know there's a very active community of role players and, and Dungeons and Dragons players uh, who like to craft uh, terrain and and like maps for these mm -hmm. dungeons. Um, I discovered them after finding someone who did uh, the entirety of Tomb of Horrors. As a three-dimensional map that you can put your miniatures on, and I think this, one, I think this one would present to be uh, a bit of a challenge and a lot of fun. 
the crafting DM build who like to build their maps, um, who like to build um, physical set pieces on the table. Uh, it might also be helpful in running number seven if you actually had a three-dimensional representation that you could move pieces around on. Right. Um, now, of course, that doesn't work well for you know us, right? Being that our group is so separated. But if you have a local group and you're into that sort of thing, uh, I really think White Plume Mountain would be a fun thing to build in your in your spare time. Send us your pictures of your White Plume Mountain models. Yeah, if, if you are in in the uh, crafting GM, we'd love to see. Any, any of your stuff, but uh, particularly, yeah, if you do White Plume Mountain, Tomb of Horrors, any sort of the uh, the famous dungeons, uh, we'd love to see them. Yeah. And that does it for White Plume Mountain, old school Dungeons and Dragons adventure module. Um, we'll see you guys next time, and keep 30 luck points. Yes, sir.